Welcome to Friendship with God. Today, Tom Cantor will continue teaching us from Genesis chapter 26, and we'll learn how the most comfortable place to live is not always the place that God wants us to live as we study the famine that Isaac faced and that drove him down to Egypt. Now, before we begin with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God, we want to remind you that Tom Cantor has a daily devotional verse email. It comes out Monday through Friday, something to encourage you through the work week and improve your friendship with God. It's just one verse from the Bible and a short commentary on that verse from Tom Cantor. Just one or two sentences, nothing big, but something to let you meditate from the Word of God. And Tom Cantor's daily devotional verse can be received on your phone or by email, and you can sign up online at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also call us. We'll sign you up over the phone at 800-247-3051. 800-247-3051. And if you'd like to make a donation, it's 100% tax deductible towards this Bible teaching radio program and also Jewish Evangelism Outreach Ministry with Israel Restoration Ministries, whom Tom Cantor is the founder of. And we have right now a summer blitz going on, reaching Jewish people in 15 U.S. and Canadian cities with 111 missionaries. If you'd like to support this Bible teaching radio program or the summer blitz, you can donate 100% tax deductible by calling us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Now, we appreciate you listening to Friendship with God. Now, here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, teaching us on Genesis chapter 26, how Isaac was in God's will and in God's land that he promised him, but there was a famine in the land and the mistake that he made and that we can make too in going down to Egypt. Wonderful works of God within him. And so his blindness was like a slate, like a palate. And so personally, this man was going to experience something wonderful in him, and it was called the wonderful works of God within him. Then the Lord went on next to explain who was going to do that wonderful work of God in him. He said, I must work the works of him that sent me. See, it was going to be the Lord Jesus Christ himself who was going to do that wonderful work of God in this man. So the result of this man personally was that he was going to discover that it's the Lord Jesus Christ himself who is the wonderful worker of the wonderful works of God. As we saw last week in Isaiah 28, 29, this also cometh from the Lord of hosts, who is wonderful in counsel and excellent in working. So I remember 15 years ago when I was in Grossmont Hospital and Dr. Ron Goldberg came into my room and he introduced himself to me and he told me he was going to do the angiogram on me that day where he found an 85% blockage in the Widowmaker artery, put a stent in it, gave me a picture of it, because I asked him to prove it. <laughs> See, he was the wonderful cardiologist that did a wonderful work in me, <laughs> literally, close to my heart. I always tell him, you work close to my heart. So what happened was, when I came out, I thought, well, yeah, he's a wonderful cardiologist. Dr. Goldberg is a wonderful cardiologist, did a wonderful work. See, and that's the way this man came away. He says, oh, boy, he's a wonderful, he's a wonderful God. The Lord Jesus Christ did a work in me. This blind man was born blind so that he could discover the wonderful Lord Jesus Christ that would do the wonderful work of God in him. If this blind man had not been born blind, he would have not had a reason to come to the Lord Jesus Christ because of blindness and discover him. See, that blind man came to the Lord Jesus Christ for his blindness and he settled for eternal life. See, verse 1, there was a famine in the land, and so the issue here is the question, why was there a famine in the land? 
Who did something wrong that there was a famine in the land? Why was there a famine in the land? So that Isaac could experience the wonderful works of God in him. And that was the life-changing passage there for Isaac when he discovered that it was God who was going to save him through all these troubles because he stayed in the land where the famine was. Yeah, I remember Semenyu and how much this portion in John 9 meant to Semenyu who had a terrible deformity in his spine in Ethiopia that made him look like the letter L and put him in a lot of pain. And he lived with his parents in a mud hut about 200 miles north of Addis Ababa in Ethiopia. And when he went to school, he was in so much pain that he couldn't sit in the seats in the school. He just laid in the dirt in front of the schoolyard. And the kids used to come out and bring him some food and some water. And he told me, the kids used to ask him, what did you do wrong to have this terrible deformity in your body? And he was tormented all through his life with what he did wrong. He couldn't figure out, what did I do wrong to have this terrible deformity? And one time he couldn't stand it any longer, and he, he knew the only help, help he could possibly get medically would be an artist. So he just went out to the road and started hitchhiking and got picked up by truck drivers who brought him into Addis, and then he started to beg on the streets. And eventually, a Jewish doctor friend of mine, Dr. Hodes, saw him there, picked him up off the streets, took him to his home, had him live there along with the 40 other kids who were living at his home. And then he sent him to Ghana, where they did a lot of surgery and reset his spine just to sit on his hip, his hip bone. Also a lot of pain, but at least to straighten him out. But he was always in torment. What did I do wrong? And one afternoon in the backyard of my attorney where Semenyu was staying in Washington, D.C., I showed him this passage here in John 9 about the blind man. As I read that, who did sin? He said, yeah, that's what I've been asking. And then the Lord said, no one sinned. And he said, really? I mean, he would put himself right there in the blind man's position. And when he read that, that no one sinned, it was like a light went on in him. He couldn't figure out what he did to deserve that. And how he'd been tormented. And I told him that his deformity was like that of the blind man. And the Lord Jesus Christ wanted to do a wonderful work in Semenyu for salvation. Like he did in the blind man for salvation. And he bowed his head there and asked the Lord to come into his heart to save him from his sins. It was Semenyu's deformity that caused him to come to the Lord Jesus Christ and experience the wonderful work of God, the salvation in him. It was the blind man's blindness that caused him to come to the Lord Jesus Christ, experience the wonderful work of salvation in him. The famine in the land that caused Isaac to experience the wonderful work of God in him. The wonderful work of God that was done in the blind man was not just for the blind man's benefit. That's why I kept reading in John 9, 8 where it says, The neighbors therefore, and they which had seen him that was born blind, said, Is not this he that was sad and begged? See, God so loved the world and the neighbors of the blind man and those that saw the blind man that he gave his only begotten son, that if they also would believe on him, that they also should not perish but have everlasting life. See, as the neighbors of the blind man and saw him, that's the wonderful works of God. They saw that. And that led them, that led them to know that the Lord Jesus Christ could help them if they only say the two words, help me. So the blind man's blindness is not just for the benefit of the blind man, it was for the benefit of the neighbors and those that saw him. And the famine in the land was not just for the benefit of Isaac because of what it says and what we read in, in verse 28. They said, we saw certainly that the Lord was with thee. See, because of the famine and because Isaac stayed in the land of the famine, everybody in the famine saw certainly that the Lord was with Isaac. 
So the famine was not just for the benefit of Isaac and that he got blessed, but it was also for the benefit of those who saw Isaac. They saw the wonderful works of God done for Isaac. And that showed them, it showed them who the God of Isaac was. And it led them to know that the God of Isaac could help them if they just said the two words, help me. But for Isaac, when there was a famine in the land, he was tempted to ask, where's the help of God now? Why am I here in this famine in the land? But as we see in here, God had a higher purpose for Isaac's trouble. And when we have trouble in our lives, the famines that come to our lives, we're tempted to say, where's the help of God for me now? I've got this trouble in my life. But as we've seen, God had a higher purpose in Isaac's case, in the blind man's case, in our case, to show the loss what it means when a child of God receives the help of God and goes through the same troubles that the lost go through. So Isaac, he had this famine, and so he made the logical decision, which was when there's no food, you go to the place where the food is, Egypt. And in verse 2, the Lord appears to Isaac in his first vision. He's on the way down, and you'll notice what the Lord says to him. In his first vision, he appears to Isaac. First of all, it says the Lord appeared to him. It doesn't say an angel appeared to him. It was the Lord himself that appeared to Isaac. It's another instance when man saw God himself, who, of course, was the Lord Jesus Christ. And when it says the Lord appeared to him, it means the Lord appeared to him. So the Lord told Isaac to not go down into Egypt. And Isaac's already on his way to Egypt. But God changed Isaac's plans midstream. And Isaac could have said, but the tickets are purchased. (laughs) I've got to go to Egypt. See, that's like Paul. He had already made plans to go to Asia to bring the gospel. And he told everyone, I'm going to Asia. They probably have a good Bible party for him, you know. But the Lord stopped him from going to Asia in Acts 16, 6 through 10. It said, now when they had gone throughout Phrygia and the region of Galatia, were forbidden of the Holy Ghost to preach the word in Asia. After they were come to Missa, they essayed to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit suffered them not. And they passing by Messiah came to Troas, and a, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. There stood a man of Macedonia and prayed him, saying, Come over into Macedonia and help us. And after he had seen the vision, immediately we endeavored to go into Macedonia, assuredly gathering that the Lord had called us for to preach the gospel unto them. So just like with Isaac, Paul was already on his way to Asia. He was on his way to Asia to bring the gospel. Just like with Isaac, Paul saw a vision, but it wasn't the Lord this time. We'll return with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, in just a moment here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that Tom Cantor is the owner and operator of the Original Creation Museum, the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California, located in the suburbs of San Diego. And if you are from San Diego, you're probably familiar with the museum. Or If you haven't been here, we'd like you to come out and visit. Or if you're going to be in town visiting from one of the other stations and you're listening outside of San Diego, we want you to make it a point when you come to San Diego or the Southern California area to come and see the Creation and Earth History Museum with Tom Cantor. You'll see the biblical account of the six days of creation. We have an Age of the Earth cave. We've also got a full-size live tabernacle theater. We've also got a human anatomy wing, as well as many other fossils and facts. Go to creationsd.org. For more information, creationsd.org. Now here's Tom Cantor. Paul saw in his vision, a man of Macedonia asking Paul to come over and help him. 
And so Paul changed his course towards Macedonia. And the reason that Paul gave was that they assuredly gathering that the Lord had called them to preach the gospel in, in Mesopotamia. That's interesting that the Lord redirected Paul with a vision of a man asking Paul to come over and help them. And from that vision, he understands that that means that they should preach the gospel to them. See, that's a great description of what it means to preach the gospel. Preaching the gospel is helping people in their need. The world says, why don't you help people where their greatest need is? They need money. They need food. God says man's greatest need is to be reconciled to God and to have eternal life with God. That's the greatest help that you can do for man. Bring the gospel of reconciliation and the gospel of eternal life to man. And that's what we do when we bring the gospel. We help the lost to know that God has given to us a great revelation in the Bible. We help the lost to know from the Bible that God is holy and man is separated from God. That's the problem, man's sin. We help the lost to know from the Bible that God intends for man to be saved from his sin, and we help the lost by giving them the answer to the greatest question of, what must I do to be saved? Now, God tells Isaac, don't go down to the place that would have been the most comfortable for Isaac, for them in Egypt, but God told Isaac in verse 2, dwell or live where he was going to tell him to live. And in verse 3, God told Isaac in verse 3, Genesis 26, 3, sojourn in this land. See, when God told Isaac to sojourn, he used the Hebrew word ger. And the Hebrew word is a primitive word, and it means to like turn aside. It's turn aside into. For example, you're driving up to Sacramento, and you turn aside in a hotel in Bakersfield for the night. You ger in Bakersfield. That's the word ger. It's interesting for us that God uses that word. We're on our way to heaven, and earth is just a place that we've just ger. We've just turned aside to. So to use that word ger implies that a person is not a citizen of the land. He's just turning aside into that land. So when Isaac hears the word ger to describe his stay in that land there, Isaac understood that he was a stranger in the land, and so he's just turning aside, just ger, just a stranger in the land. And we're going to understand that that's us. We're a stranger. We're just turning aside here. Today, most of the U.S. will be watching the Super Bowl on TV. And from the commercials and the halftime show, we will understand we are strangers on this earth. This world is not our home. From this word ger, in verse 3, Isaac understood he was a stranger in the land of ger. See, the land where he was, that was the land of Sodom and Gomorrah. That was the land where sexual immorality was so bad that verse 10 was the norm. One of the people might lightly line with his wife. That was a place where unmarried people just lightly lie with each other. See, that was, that was a land of lightly lying where sexual union is a light thing. It's a no big deal. It's nothing special. It's not just for the married state. That was a land of lightly lying where sexual union is no big deal. One night stands, they're common. See, today the Super Bowl, what I'm telling you, is they're going to preach that we lived in a land of lightly lying where sexual union is not reserved for the act of marriage. And as Isaac heard God say that word ger in verse 3 for sojourn, Isaac understood that he was a stranger in this land that's described by that verse and also described by verse 7. The men of the place should kill me for Rebekah because she was fair to look upon. That was a place where lust was exalted to the level where men killed for lust. If they wanted a woman and she was married, that's no problem. You just go kill the husband. And Isaac knew he was in a land of unbridled lust, where ultimate pleasure to satisfy sexual desire, that's king. 
See, that's why Paul used a word to describe what believers should do with sexual lust when he said in 1 Corinthians 7, 9, he said, but if they cannot contain, let them marry. It's better to marry than to burn. See, the believer for sexual lust, the word is contain. The word is control. The word is bridle. So just how was Isaac going to do this? Just exactly how was Isaac going to live in a place where the norm of verse 10 was one of the people might lightly line where verse 7, the people, the men of the place should kill me for Rebecca because she's pretty, see? And he says, gur or sojourn, but how? See, how do you do what Peter described in 1 Peter 2.11? Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts, which war against the soul. See, to live as a stranger and a pilgrim in a state of abstaining from the fleshly lusts, which war against the soul, how do you do that? How? How am I to live as a stranger and pilgrim in a sexually immoral place? How am I to abstain from fleshly lust? How am I to contain lust? How? And the Lord says, immediately, I'm going to give you the answer for all those hows. And it's in the next part of verse 3. Sojourn in this land, I will be with thee and will bless thee. See, the answer to all those hows is, I will be with thee and bless thee. God is not saying to Isaac, Isaac, you stay clean in this filthy place where you live, you live a separated life, you live a sanctified life in this immoral place and where you are, and I'm going back to heaven, so good luck. He didn't say that. See, verse 3, God is saying to Isaac, he's not going back to heaven, but he's going to stay there right with Isaac all the way through Isaac's life on earth with the presence of God. And he's going to be able to live this separated life and experience the blessing of God there in the middle of the land of Sodom and Gomorrah. God's going to be with Isaac. And what God is saying in verse 3 is, Isaac, you obey me and stay right where you are in that wicked place, and I'll be with you there. Isaac, you decide. You decide. Here's your choice, Isaac. You can disobey me and do what seems logical to you and go to the more comfortable place in Egypt, and I won't be with you. Or you can obey me, stay right where you are in this famine-afflicted, immoral place, and I'll be with you. And that decision's a battle for Isaac. It can battle for anyone. It's a battle. It's a struggle. He might have kind of looked at it and he thought to himself, where will I best be able to raise my family? Seems like Egypt would be better. Where will I have enough food to feed my family? Seems like I have, I'll have more food in Egypt. Where will my family be best insulated from sexual immorality? Not here. Seems like Egypt's more moral than here. And on the other hand, but then Isaac struggles with the ultimate question, where will I have the presence of God? And as Isaac struggles with this decision of where to live, Isaac made his decision, and it's told to us in the shortest verse in this chapter, it's just a short decision made, verse 6, Isaac dwelt in Gerar. Finally, Isaac breaks through all the arguments of human logic and makes his decision, Isaac dwelt in Gerar, verse 6. And when it says he dwelt in Gerar, a Hebrew word is used, which is translated dwelt in verse 6, yashab. It's not the same Hebrew word that's used and translated dwell in verse 2. And the word in verse 6 that's used, yashab, it's interesting because it says Isaac yashab, he dwelt in Gerar. And the reason it's interesting is because yashab comes from a root to meaning to sit, or you could think of it like he's sitting. And so it's the same word that's used in Psalm 91.1, he that dwelleth. Yashab, he that sits down in the secret place of the Most High, shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. See, it's talking about a secret place. It's a secret place. There's a calm contentment in this secret place. It's the reason why David, he said in another place in Psalm 27.5, he uses this word hide. He said, 
In the time of trouble, he shall hide me in his pavilion. In the secret of his tabernacle shall he hide me. He'll set me up upon a rock. See, in the time of trouble, when I'm surrounded with troubles, all those troubles that, that Isaac had, he's going to hide me. He's going to put me, he's going to hide me. It means secret me. He's going to secret me. You know, if that's a verb, I don't know. He's going to keep me as a secret in his house. You know, like Rahab, she hid those spies. She kept them as a secret in her house. She protected them. Or the servants of David, when they were uh, going to bring the word about what Absalom was doing in Jerusalem as Jonathan and Ahimaaz. And so they were put down the well. And they, where are they? I don't know. They went that way. See, she kept them as a secret in her well. That's what God says. I'll keep you as a secret and protect you. In a pavilion, a pavilion, a booth, a booth of woven branches. You know, the Jewish people have a, a holiday, Sukkot. That's what the word is, Sukkah. So I'm going to keep you on the protection. And why is that Sukkah? It's to protect from the sun. And so this is a protect from the pavilion there. In the secret of his tabernacle, in the most inner secret part, in the Holy of Holies. He says, I'm going to keep you there. I'm going to hide you there in the Holy of Holies. That's the place where a person retires to be alone with God. You know, everybody, we all have in our house, you know, we have a room. Most of it's a bedroom. Visitors don't go in there. You know, they go to other rooms. Because that's a place where we go to be retired, to be alone. That's what God's talking about. I'm going to hide you in my bedroom, God says. Nothing can be more intimate in friendship. Nothing can be more protected than these words. And then he says, you'll be so protected, it'll be on a high rock. He says, you'll be secure, inaccessible to your enemies. That's why David said in Psalm 61 two, from the end of the earth will I cry unto thee. When my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. So this word dwell, it's interesting because it means to stay constantly. Yashab means to stay constantly. Not like in a motel for one or two nights, but to stay there. And the best proof that we have that God is for us is that we can stay with him and he stays with us. See, and so, under the shadow of the Almighty, under his protection, keep me, Psalm 17, 8, keep me as the apple of thine eye, hide me under the shadow of thy wings, guard me, protect me, keep me like the most sensitive part of your body. Something gets in your eye, you immediately stop everything to get that out. Keep me like that. Keep me, the word, when it says keep me as the apple of thine eye in Psalm 17, 8, it doesn't say, it's not apple, it's the little man of the eye or the daughter of the eye. And it's something very dependent on. Deuteronomy 32, 9 through 12. The Lord's portion is his people. Jacob is the lot of his inheritance. He found him in a desert place, in a waste-telling wilderness. He led him about. He instructed him. He kept him as the apple of his eye, as a little man of his eye, a little daughter of his eye. As an eagle stirreth up her nest, fluttereth over her young, spreadeth abroad her wings, taketh them, beareth them up on her wings. So the Lord alone did lead him, and there was no strange God with him. How excellent, Psalm 37, 36, 7. How excellent is thy loving kindness, O God. Therefore the children of men put their trust under the shadow of thy wings. And when David was fleeing from Saul in Psalm 57, he said, in the shadow of thy wings will I make my refuge until these calamities be overpassed. In Psalm 61, 4, I will abide in thy tabernacle forever. I will trust in the covert covering of thy wings. In Psalm 63, 7, because thou hast been my help, therefore in the shadow of thy wings will I rejoice. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for being to us, Lord, a, a shadow in a very hot, dry, thirsty land. Thank you, Lord, for how you told Isaac to stay right there and you blessed him greatly. And help us, Lord, to, to trust you, to obey you, Lord, and to, so that you would be able to say that that's my child in Jesus' name. 
Amen. Another great day of studying the Bible with Tom Cantor, our Bible teacher on Friendship with God from Genesis chapter 26 on the famine in the land with Isaac and going down to Egypt. If you'd like to study more resources from Tom Cantor, you can do so by going online to friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also download all of Tom Cantor's messages and many of his materials for free, all at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also sign up for the Tom Cantor's podcast of the Friendship with God radio program at iTunes.com. Just search for the Friendship with God podcast. Now, as we've mentioned to you in many of the announcements, we have the Summer Blitz going on right now in 15 U.S. and Canadian cities with 111 missionaries taking the gospel to the Jewish people. We've given you some of the testimonies of that outreach. Many Jewish people have come to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior through this outreach this summer. And we've been able to help disciple them and improve their friendship with God as new Jewish believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. If you'd like to have a part in that, we'd like you to sign up for our newsletter for Israel Restoration Ministries and Friendship with God at our website, friendshipwithgod.org. You'll learn all the information going on with the Summer Blitz. We've hit over 400,000 doors with Jewish materials and also full-color fourfold gospel tracts. They're beautiful. If you'd like a pack of 20, you can get them by calling 800-247-3051. 800-247-3051. They present the gospel from the Old Testament about Jesus Christ as the Jewish Messiah. They're beautiful. Great presentation of the gospel. Get them for your friends or Jewish people that you know. 20 pack. Call us at 800-247-3051 or friendshipwithgod.org.